Rick Torres. I'm Ashley Argoda, and, and we are Mismo. Today we talk to Paul Stanko. Paul is one of my best friends. <laughs> He's the best. He is. This is one of our funniest and silliest episodes, but also so honest. So real. Yeah, he has just been a gamer in this industry and continues to be, and I think there's a lot to glean from this one. So enjoy. <laughs> Paul Stanko. Hey. Man, oh man. Hey. Um, how, how, uh, how are you these days? Nick Torres and Ashley Argoda. It is so good to see you guys again. I'm doing fabulous. How are you? We're, we're Great. Good. We're, we're well. Chilling. I have, um, Paul, you're the person I think I have worked with the most. Uh, that could be very true. We've been lucky. We've got to do a lot of cool stuff together. Uh, I want to talk all about that, but first, hard pressing question. I want to yeah, talk it's... about your sense of fashion. <laughs> okay, because that's a big subject. Are, do you have time? I thought this was an acting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I every award show we're at, every rehearsal we're at, I feel like you have you have made a conscious choice. Like I remember all of get that snitch rehearsals. Um. Where you were going under an alias is the uh, that was that was a whole fascinating story. We'll get into the get that snitch, but just yeah. like uh, where where does your inspiration for fashion come from? Uh, honestly, like peacocks, uh, my mother's closet, um, Project Runway, uh, <laughs> the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That, yeah. that's, that's clear. It, yeah, it, MTV in the nineties. Yeah. you know. Just bright colors and loud noises as a concept. Uh, and I think just like clothes give you so much power and so much confidence. And, and we all know what it's like to look good. I mean, we more so than most people know what it's like sure. to look good. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, especially as actors, like to, to try to try to tie this in somehow. It's like you, you put on costumes and you feel like a whole new person. I mean, that's fashion does that for you every day on, on a constant basis. And I feel like, why waste an opportunity to look amazing? Um, so I always try to sort of skew my wardrobes in that direction with that general sense. You do. You do. Um, Thank yeah, you. I feel like you're like the L.A. Theater Macklemore. Whoa! That's, <laughs> I, that's an overwhelming compliment. And, and I, I, I assume you're talking about like, thrift store era Macklemore, thrift not whatever Macklemore is doing now, because what happened to Macklemore? I'm not sure, but obviously, yeah, thrift shop, for sure. Um, moped riding Macklemore. 10,000 Hours, that whole album. <laughs> Can I tell you a crazy story? I was, when we were going to USC together, because that's how we first met each other, was at the University of Southern California, humble brag, uh, <laughs> and do you remember the shrine? Oh, yeah. Of course. So, like, all these big-name acts would come through there, right? Like, uh, Beyonce and and uh, Run the Jewels and uh, who's another famous? Ariana Grande. The and Shrine. Of course, what? Oh, oh, it's it's where they used to host the Oscars, and it's right across the street from USC. It's a huge venue. Yeah, and I think they still do the SAG Awards there, don't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's that huge venue. Anyways... Macklemore yes. was performing there, yes. and you're we're right on campus. We're walking by it every single day, so I'm walking out there dripping in swag, 
yes. as per usual. <laughs> and a bunch of girls run up to me and they're like, Macklemore, Macklemore, uh, can we get a picture with you? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Macklemore, get in here, fans of rap music. Do you guys like thrift shop? <laughs> Wow. And I just totally pretended to be Macklemore. Because you remember, my I had that Macklemore swoosh going. and You had long I, hair for a while, yeah. I looked like it for a while. I didn't always rock. Your viewers can't see this, but right now I'm rocking like a patchy beard, a mullet, and a earring. That's right. <laughs> Is the piercing so, new? Oh, yeah. Well, I turned 30 just recently, so I, I had to treat myself a little. Nice. Congrats. Nice. I like it. It looks great. Thank you. My roommate did it in the kitchen with a kit we got off Amazon. Did it hurt? <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't. It didn't feel like anything. And I was so nervous because we've all seen Parent Trap where Lindsay Lohan pierced Lindsay Lohan's ear with the needle and the <laughs> apple. Right. Yes. So yes, I was like, I was like, ooh, that's going to hurt bad. Uh, but luckily, they've got these like instant kits that you can do it online and or on Amazon, and you just click that sucker in there. You can do your whole ear, your belly button, anywhere else too. Wow! You got any others lined up now that you got one piercing? Well, like you said, I you know I, I can only tell the stories that are safe for air. Okay, but, sure. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll wait and see. Maybe for my fortieth birthday. For forty. <laughs> one, yeah. one per decade. One per one per decade. My mother was of course horrified. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds right. Would yeah. you ever get any tattoos? Do you have any tattoos? I don't. I'm a clean slate. I mean, you know how it goes. Like, you want to be able to play as many parts as possible. So despite wanting tattoos so badly my whole life, because I think they are just the coolest, sexiest thing, I, I have none. But mm -hmm. I do have a lot of cool ideas for tattoos. Nice. I thought the same thing and then I was like I'm gonna get tattoos but get them in hidden places and they're not that hidden so now every time I go in for a job I have to get them I have to like spend an extra hour in hair and makeup getting them covered up even though they're I mean they're tiny but they're, yeah, they're on your wrist yeah but I mean I it was I love my tattoos but then when I go to work I regret every second of getting a tattoo so good for you it's a, isn't it amazing though how they can cover those up oh yeah I mean, I'm so I'm always so impressed. They like they like color correct everything. They put red on it first. It looks insane, and then they put like a darker color, then a lighter color, then your skin tone on top of it, and then it stays forever. It, like never comes off. It's wild. That's it. But and imagine if you were like, uh, who is it? Is it Ben Affleck who has that huge phoenix tattooed on his back? Does he really? Haven't you seen those photos online? All the gross celebrity gossip shit where it's like Matt Damon or it's Ben Affleck on the beach and he's got a big old Phoenix back mural. Oh my God. And he has to get that covered really up. regrets. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, who, like the people who have sleeves and stuff, how do they cover that up? That's I don't all, know. That's all day. It's a whole thing. Or Shia LaBeouf just got that real tattoo yes. for tax collector. Yes. It's huge. It's on his bot, like chest. Yeah. It's wild. I can't believe that, that. that was shocking. That's commitment to a character right there. Well, Shia LaBeouf is making those late career moves. I love late career Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, uh, Honey Boy. Honey Boy, absolutely. That yeah. movie was amazing, man. Yeah. I really, I was surprised because I really wanted to hate him after the Indiana Jones movies. Sure. Like what a what a disaster. Mm. And now, and then he was doing all that weird stuff where. 
he was like doing those kind of avant-garde like movies that one of them was it nymphomaniac where he actually had sex in it and it was just like there there was some shia labeouf was doing some weird ass shit is that yeah. what we use this podcast to do is just talk shit about <laughs> celebrities <laughs> well yes it's a special episode all right let's see if i can bring this together <laughs> Tattoos. All this to say, I love late stage Shia LaBeouf. He's yes. a good actor. All that. I agree. Tattoos, fashion, all of that kind of gives you um, an identity. Because uh, I feel like, yeah, you can be like a clean slate or you can uh, just lean all the way in. Like people with a lot of tattoos do get cast uh, in certain yeah. roles. With your fashion, that's kind of why I asked because I feel like it gives you, like, if. I'm going to see you in person or just today. Like, I knew you were going to be wearing something cool today or, like, something would be different about you and you've got the piercing. Like, I can expect it from you because you're just so consistently bringing it. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, So, I don't know. I feel like it gives you an identity. It. Oh, you remember that weird little um, casting director workshop we went to where... You're like in front of an audience, but you do um, you do like a scene in a monologue or something. You brought me to it. You remember that, dude? Was that um, Turbo Showcase? I think so. Uh, and it was that like there was like ten agencies and managers in the front row, and then there was like twenty people uh, actors doing just like uh, two minute scenes. Yeah, is that, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, I can't even yes. remember what scene we did, but whatever it was, was. Like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, maybe. Or something from uh, Joe Anthony's acting class. Could it have been like Speed the Plow? No. No. It was probably some really high-level shit, Mick. Let's be honest. I mean, it was was definitely not some scrub script you get offline when you Google good two-person scenes. Wow. No, we did a play. But it it makes me think (laughs) of like... Have you ever been in, um, in one of those rooms where... They, they they're generally like people you've worked with for like a day or like a few hours and they have you stand in front and uh give adjectives of like how would you cast this person like have you ever had that experience yeah in fact we did that in college uh at oh. usc i was in it was um randy mel's professional preparation for the actor uh which we needed way more classes like that and instead of just like make the color purple with your voice class, we needed more like how to do your taxes as an actor, how to like manage yourself as a brand, how to use social media, yes. not like here's Kundalini yoga for a semester. <laughs> not that that's not that that movement stuff is invaluable. I totally I believe in it. I do it. The warm ups, the high low before every show. But, like, if I had learned how to, you know, just manage my finances, that would have changed my career very early on. Yeah, totally. Uh, But anyways, we were in this professional preparation for actors class, and a a casting director came in and, like, lined us all up usual suspect style, and then just basically was like, okay, you're the best friend, you're the the slut, you're the goody two-shoes, you're the tough guy, you're never going to work. You're the, you know, the, the best, uh, the second best friend. It, it's uh, so of course, of course I've been in those lineups. Were you uh, going to ask me what mine were? 
or, or yeah, I guess. So what do you does that um, does that have anything to do with like roles you submit yourself for, or or your sense of fashion, or any of that? Like, is it is it a conscious choice because you are trying to um, fit into something? Wow, that's a good question. Or Mick. not even fit into something isn't even the way I want to say it, but uh, be be savvy enough to like know what lane you can succeed in what your brand is yeah what your brand is dude honestly i'm trying to figure that out all the time Mm. and i spent a good portion of the first part of my career right out of college thinking that i could do everything i was like i'm an act i'm the best actor in the world is literally a a warm-up i used to do with tommy fleming at usc Mm. where we would just be backstage going you're the best actor in the world. No, dude, you're the best actor in the world. Uh And it was like, you come out of the gate super cocky, like the world, like you own the world. And I think the industry humbles us very quickly into showing you like, know your type, know your lane, and then be the best at it. And once you break into that, you can then hope to get to a place where people are starting to consider you for other stuff. But if you're the best friend, they're not going to see you as the slut, you know, mm-hmm. like for lack of a better comparison. <laughs> yeah. This was in, in uh, 2011. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so we can, but uh, you know, all that to say is just like the, your type is a very real thing and your brand is a very real thing. Uh, I'm always trying to figure that out. I certainly haven't nailed it down, but the, the characters that I tend to play are often very different from the person that I am. Um, and so I think it was, it was it was tough for me at first to try to figure out, like, what what is just the the actor Paul Stanko versus the person Paul Stanko? Mm. Yeah. We've had some several conversations with either USC alums or just college uh, theater trained, uh, you know, with a degree in general. Uh, but I kind of knew we would get into this a little bit today. So, so... Can you, in your own opinion, why is it that we graduate with this inflated sense of ego and and or just because I, I felt the same way that like I can play any role. Um, I want to play every role and like I graduated here. I am. Let's do this. You know, um, what do you, why do you think that is? Because uh, we're young and dumb and and we're invincible, man. I, I, I really, I think it's, uh, that's that's the best as I can maybe put words to it, but uh, college is also that weird microcosm where you are kind of just nailing it a lot, you know, and they, they, they give you shows and they, they give you chances to succeed and everybody is like working and making stuff. And so it's easy to kind of get that sense that like, I am the best uh, and then you get out into the real world and you realize like, oh, I don't even know how to do my taxes. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke at a class at USC. Was it like last year or something like that? Mm-hmm. I think it was a little before we started the podcast. And uh, it was a director friend of mine. And he was like, I'd love for you to come and like talk about your TV and film experience. And when I got in there, a lot of the kids in the class were like, we want to be able to work while we are going to school like we want 
we're here in LA. We like want to be in the thick of it. We want to audition. Like there were kids who were afforded opportunities to like shadow directors on set, shadow producers, shadow actors, and USC wasn't letting them do that. And the professor was basically like, well, USC is, it's basically like the mini version of LA and like we're setting all of our actors up here to succeed in anything they do outside of the school. And I was like, I literally live with somebody who graduated from this school and will disagree with you wholeheartedly. Because if you are afforded all of those opportunities where you just succeed no matter what, then yeah. that's just not the way it works in real life, right? No, no sir. Quite the opposite. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was so, he was like, well, you just have to do this for four years and then you can do whatever you want. But we really set them up to succeed. And I was like, you, you really don't though, because you're well, going to be told no so many times, so many times. And if you just tell all these kids, yes. And it's amazing that everybody's afforded so many opportunities to succeed at the school, but like, that's just not the way it is. And you can't, you can't set everyone's expectations and their their bars so high and then expect them to succeed when really they're going to they're going to like run out of the gate and be like I got this and then fall on their faces exactly and i think failing and learning from failure and being able to recover quickly from failure is like one of the most valuable skills a, a performer can have. Yeah. Not just actors, but, you know, in, any type of live entertainment or entertainment in general, you're going to face a lot of rejection. And like like you said, they, they're, they're afraid to prepare you for that or they think that, you know, that's not what kids come to learn yeah. is how to fail. But that's what I spent my whole career doing is learning how to fail. Yeah. So you fail and you I learn how to deal with the failure. Absolutely. That's such a good point. Yeah. Mm. Will they add a, a failure class at USC? Do you think? Well, I just feel like <laughs> it's not even about getting rejected because you do audition for the plays and there's a finite amount of roles and, uh, you know, people get rejected that way. So to, to USC's credit, that is some sense of reality, but the difference is, you can just roll in and audition for, if you're a BA, there's like six BA plays that you can audition for. And there's going to be a role or three or four for you that you would fit. And you can go in for all of them. Um, yeah. Because you signed up on a list to go in. <laughs> yeah. If real auditions were like that, I mean, I'd have five <laughs> auditions a day. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> So that's yeah. what I think, but I don't know how to, I don't have a solution for them. I'm just, I, yeah. you know, I'm just, um, I do. And I think you heard it time and time again, Harrison said the same thing. Don't go to college, get out there and start working in the entertainment industry. I mean, if this is what you want to do to all you listeners out there, all you young, lovely birds waiting to sing your song at whatever prestigious university program you just got into, Turn them down. Reject them. <laughs> Be the boss that you are and say, I don't need it. I'm going to Hollywood, baby. <laughs> and get out there and crash into your face at 17 or 18 or 19 or 20 instead of all throughout your 20s after you've nailed it at your prestigious theater school. Mm. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, that's not, I, I don't want to just sound like I'm just bashing on theater programs because I love theater. I love acting. I love practicing and doing all of this stuff. And that's a, what college affords you to do. But I think at the end of the day, like, 
it's nothing like the entertainment industry. It can't be. Nothing in the world is like the entertainment industry. Right. And the only way to, to, to learn it is to do it. And I think they, you know, like the dean would maybe say, who I would love to have, we talk about USC so much, I would love to have like a professor or the dean on here to, to get the counter argument from the other side. But, um, but I bet you could do it. Yeah, maybe I'll reach out. If but you're uh, listening, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. But I, I bet they don't feel like they're a professional preparation university. I don't. I they probably would say that's not our responsibility. However, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, eighteen-year-old Mick coming from Utah was probably pretty similar to eighteen-year-old Paul Stanko rolling in from Colorado, ready to take Hollywood by the horns. You just yeah. got in to USC, extremely prestigious acting school, maybe you could argue the most prestigious on the West Coast, and you're like, this is my step, I crush it there, I'll graduate, that will mean something as it does in most industries. Like, Like, the fact that having a theater degree on your resume carries almost zero weight in an audition, which is a job interview, that's our job interview. As opposed right. to, uh, you know, any other industry, you're going in and that's like... You see it, a degree and you're like, oh, wow, that's great. It levels you up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So so what was um, what was 18-year-old Paul Stanko coming to USC for? What was what was in your mind and, and you know, how did you, uh, how did you decide to go down this path to, to begin with? Well, I'm glad you asked because there's <laughs> nothing I like better than talking about me. <laughs> Eighteen-year-old Paul Stanko had just told eighteen-year-old Paul Stanko's parents that instead of going to all of the prestigious pre-med programs that he had been accepted to, that he would rather play a doctor on TV than be a doctor in real life. Let's go. So, yeah, snaps. Nice. To that. <laughs> I can't clap on the podcast because it's going to overload the microphone. So I snap on the podcast instead. But if you could, you would give me thunderous applause. Oh, yeah. I'd give you a standing L right now. <laughs> because everybody should get thunderous applause for choosing this crazy life. Of course. Um, and so anyways, I, I, I had just gotten out of high school where I had done uh, my senior year at the Wizard of Oz. And I, which, which part do you think I was in the Wizard of Oz? The Wizard. <laughs> Scarecrow. The wizard! Ah, the scarecrow was the nice. part I wanted so bad, but it went to John Bradley. John. <laughs> Damn you, John. Oh, damn it, John. <laughs> and I, so I was the Wizard of Oz because the truth of the matter is I love to sing and I sing all the time. I am a karaoke god, but I'm not what you would call a trained or good singer. I am a charismatic singer Uh, you can tell a story that's what matters absolutely exactly yeah i'm the i'm the the storytelling there you uh, go singer perfect perfect um (laughs) but anyways uh i was in wizard of oz and and i had gotten all of these uh acceptance letters to toot my own horn to like a bunch of good schools uh and i worked really hard in high school i had always planned to do something my richest relative was a doctor so i was like that's what i'm gonna do because that's what success is. And then I was in this production senior year and everybody was kind of getting it into schools and and figuring out what they wanted to do. And I just had this realization that like, I don't love doctoring. 
<laughs> I don't love science and learning about how bodies work. I love being an idiot on stage and yelling into a microphone and, you know, dancing and singing and doing all this uh, performance stuff. So I just kind of pivoted and told my parents, like, I want to go to theater school. And they were like, okay. <laughs> uh, and so they were like, well, you can, uh, it's kind of late, but you can apply to one theater school that's out of Colorado and we'll like fly you to it to do the audition and, and, and do all that stuff. So I literally Googled best theater schools in the United States and USC, sure enough, ahead of UCLA, thank you very much, was on that list in like the three or four slot, which did they deserve it? Who freaking knows? I saw that it was out here in Los Angeles, California, and I just said, that's my ticket. And I got out to uh, USC, a.k.a. West Coast Hogwarts, and I was like, this is this is heaven. I got to go here. Right. I send my parents the bill. It's and they so were horrified, of course. But, uh, oh but it, it, that was kind of the beginning of taking acting seriously as like a, a job. And, and just like you're saying, Mick, I got to USC and I was like, this is my ticket, man. All I got to do is stay on track and I'm going to be famous in two years out of college. Uh, yeah. But boy, was I wrong. So anyways, yeah, got on that plane and flew out and did theater school. And then the real adventure began. Yeah, man. Uh, did you get an agent out of college? Oh, uh, man, I had so many agents, Ashley, so many horrible mistakes. Never a good one. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's actually not true. I have to give a shout out to Joe Florence at Circle of Ten Talent. He was one of the best agents I ever had. Uh, he, he, we, we never booked anything together, but he was just a really nice guy. Mm. It makes a difference. You got to be it's, able to talk to your agent. It sure does. Um, but yeah, I did get a, oh man, uh, the, the first agent I got right out of college was literally like a woman working out of her garage. <laughs> I won't say her name because, like, I don't. I, I really. I only want to talk shit about celebrities who are established. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah me too, me but, too. but I. She literally. She. She like met me at an Italian restaurant and was like, "Classic." So this is this is how I do it. Uh, this is my style. This is my strategy. I'm gonna make uh, posters of you and send them to casting agents, and uh, I'm gonna need you to pay me two hundred and fifty dollars as like a consulting fee. Uh, for these headshots that we're going to do together, and it's all going to be great. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I, had, I was an innocent little boy from Colorado. I had no idea how the big, bad entertainment industry works. So Man. I spent, like, a couple years getting scammed on, like, weird agents like that. And I I did a the, the actor's access thing mm -hmm. where you just put your headshot out to who knows who. And they can contact you for representation. I got a couple weird managers out of that uh, that kind of gambit, and then uh, I didn't really start finding like real success with agents until I started doing uh, voiceover. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to start getting repped by some legit people uh, at Solid Talent and Atlas Talent. Um, and yeah, that 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 was where I started to finally figure shit out and be able to get that that bullshit sensor that tells you when somebody is, is, is trying to pull the fleece on you. Wow. Man. What a story. Oh my God. Okay. So it's, it's pretty much what I, what, 
S- similar experience, yeah. There, there have been some tough ones. But, yeah. okay, so back to Wizard of Oz, which we just want to talk about all day long. Yeah. Of um, course. Okay, so... A I did star the, is born. I did the exact same <laughs> thing. Mine was Funny Girl. I played Nick Arnstein. And, of course. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Like, lead role in my high school. You know, but... But I'm like, all right, I'm just going to leave it up to the experts. Like, if I get it, the, the professors at USC, they'll know. Like, if I've got it, they'll let me in. Yeah. And if I really shouldn't be an actor, they'll say no, and then I'll go do something else. Exactly. So I'll audition. And then I got in. <laughs> and that's <laughs> when everything <laughs> changed. So, but doesn't that, I mean, uh, you know, when you're, when you're young, like, that that sense of validation like i got into that school that changes it okay but then here's my here's where i'm going we fell in love with theater both of us and then we came to la to a theater school but i wanted to do film i've always that's always that's why i came here that's why i didn't go to east coast schools was it film film tv for you too well, I, that was all I knew about entertainment was that it was Hollywood. You know, that's yeah. where they made movies. That's where the that's where professional actors went. I mean, I kind of like Broadway was out there, but I I did. I, I wanted to be in movies. You know, so of course yeah. I I came to L.A. Me too. But then we got trained for theater, thinking right. like it'll just transfer. But <laughs> yeah. But totally. now <laughs> most of what we've both done, like we've had some some film TV stuff, but you know we're not. Uh, what 18-year-old Mick and Paul would have wanted for us at this point. No, certainly not. Dude, I have never been on a TV show. I've never caught that guest star. I've never got that series regular. All the movies I've done have been like indies and wonderful and weird projects. But like I was was getting the Oscar speech ready, dude. I know. (laughs) But you've done a lot of great theater that you can or I think you should feel proud of. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to like write off all of that. I'm very proud of everything I've done. But yeah, theater in L.A. has really been my wheelhouse. Shocking, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, finding a camel that can swim. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you, ha- you have done a lot of you. Were, you did Ante- Anteus. Are you yeah, Antius? I've done. I've, I've worked in literally almost every theater that they've got out here. Yeah, I've really done Antius, uh, uh, Noise Within, um, uh, Rogue Machine, uh, Lyric Hyperion. Um, man, the list goes on and on. It there, that's the crazy thing about it is there is so much theater to be done out here. Who knew? So Who knew. How? Last but not least. After Hours Theater production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which we need not belabor. You covered it with Harrison. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to talk more about um, what was it? Great Minds Creative Productions. Uh, uh, get that yes. snitch. Get that snitch. Oh that was my first professional play in L.A. Was it really? Yeah. Oh my god! That's uh, well. I'm I'm completely honored by that. But you were so good in it the first time when we did it in college, and then. You were even better the second time uh, when we did it, it at the Atwater Village Theater. Thanks. I changed roles because we went from, uh, I don't think we've really talked about Snitch on, on Mismo. No, I don't even know that much about Snitch. Well, since we're sitting here with Achilles Capone himself. Uh, <laughs> don't tell him. I'm sorry. 
That's my secret alias, dog. You just gave away Batman's identity. Oh. <laughs> Batman? <laughs> um, okay. That's okay. I, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'll use the Men in Black mind eraser. Nice. Uh, to, to make sure it's, it stays safe. On but yes, I was, on every I was the playwright Achilles that, Yeah, that was your pen name. Okay. Uh, so you wrote it in... I mean, in college, and then we it, you got it made. That was um, our senior yeah. year. What was that group called? Brand new BNT, Brand New Theater. Yeah, right. BNT, and and you were kind of one of the big uh, like catalysts for getting. Was it Tony uh, Abata Marco who was running the Skylight Theater, and they like wanted to. They had seen it at USC, yes. and they wanted to bring it out just right away into the LA theater scene because they thought it was going to be a hit. But then, of course. There was no money as of course there was no money. Of course <laughs> there was no money. And I would hear that phrase over and over again. But that's right. Uh, yeah. We yeah, had that meeting. That? We had that meeting with them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, but no, then we ended up doing it with Kate Harrow at, at Atwater village. Um, Atwater village. And it was, man, that was what a high level production. Wow. I mean, we were doing Broadway level theater in a black box in Atwater village like with those squibs and the, for those who don't know who didn't read about it in the New York times, get that snitch was a play that was sort of like a gangster drama, uh, guns blazing action adventure brought to the stage. Uh, and we had like the stunt work and the, the, the armory, the guns and the, the special effects, not to mention the stage were just way beyond our means, uh, which God, you want to talk about the spirit of LA theater working beyond your means is is the heart and soul of this hustle. Yeah, man. And in bo both versions were really really great for different reasons. The the USC version was like Tommy Fleming was the devil. Uh, you know, it was like our your improv troupe um, mostly and like it was hilarious. Yeah. Like that one of my favorite theater act, just acting moments in general was, I think it was a Friday night or a Saturday night, the 11 o'clock show. You remember that? Yes. And it was like all our friends, basically, who, you know, they're drinking on a late night and just, like, loved it. The energy the audience was giving us that night was still one of my favorite memories. Dude, why, how do you think theater survives all these years through, you know, the span of history is because that energy keeps it alive. That's that that like sort of drunken, debaucherous, you know, high balls to the wall, through the roof energy is, is that's what feeds us, I think. And it always provides the best of times. I mean, Ashley, right? Like working at Rockwell, how fucking cool is it when everybody's just in it? Yeah, I was that's literally what I was just thinking about. There are those nights where like like a Thursday night or like a Sunday matinee where the audience is kind of like tired and you're like, yeah, but then you get those like Friday, Saturday crowds where they're just like ready to party and it's the They're greatest. singing along. They're, you know, they're at the edge of the stage. Yes. They're, you know, it's, it, it, it's that and anyone who's ever done it knows what it feels like and it's the best drug in the world. Yeah. It's really the best feeling. Yeah. It really, it, it's, it's what keeps me in this crazy game after failure after failure after failure <laughs> is that feeling yeah. of the 11 o'clock show where everybody's drunk having the best time of their life it was so yeah. fun and then yeah. the second time and that's why we were like oh we could do this outside of school like let's do it for real and then we got i mean our cast was 
I would take our cast in any fight against any other cast. They were like the most intimidating guys. Absolutely. John Mead and uh, Jeff. Oh, man. R.I.P. Jeff. What What was his last name? Um, dude, sorry, Levin? Jeff Jeff Levin? Man, yeah. he was so good. That That dude was amazing. And then he tragically died of cancer like right after that show happened. What? Yeah, that, we, we man, to, that was one of the most, like, what a roller coaster. That was unbelievable. We went to the, you and I went to the hospital together to see him. And, yeah, uh, th- yeah, that was literally the last thing that dude did in his life was get that snitch. And, you know, talk about going out on a high note, honestly. Like, it was such an honor to work with him. And uh, that's, I mean, that kind of sums it up for me right there. It, he was like this incredibly strong man, and he was talking about he felt uh, like his lap had gotten sore or something. Like he could normally do fifty pull-ups, and he was like, "I was doing like five, and something hurt." And uh, turned out it was, of course, cancer. Yeah, that was that was terrible. But um, what a great guy that we got to know for a while. Exactly, and and. Dude, the, the dude was built like a professional wrestler. Yeah. I mean, we really, that, that whole cast went from being college students to like jacked dudes and scary gangsters. It was like, it was really like, it made it real. He had that stunt where he had to pick a guy up by his neck. That was, yeah. um, that was Jack, right? That he picked up. That was, that's exactly right. That was Sean, um, wow, Gallagher. I'm so bad at names. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, the, the, all those fight scenes were so good, um, but yeah, that uh, that cast was amazing, and and it, it really it did feel very real. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's up with get that snitch? Is it just uh, sitting in your your drawer now these days? As so many good ideas are, <laughs> you know that 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 one just sort of ran its course, and and I think that was the sad side of the second round of get that snitch was like for all the work that we put into it it never really gave us back what 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 we put in like the the audiences were good and we sold a lot of tickets but it wasn't enough to keep it going it wasn't enough to to get it picked up somewhere it it for everything that show did and was it wasn't enough to keep it going and i mean i think that's kind of the the beautiful tragedy of of a lot of live theater is that it it's it takes so much to make it and the return, at least financially, is often not enough to keep it going. So you kind of get these like these beautiful supernovas that just explode in the sky and then they're gone for good. And I guess that's all the more reason to cherish them. Uh, but get that snitch it's it, 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 it it's it's up there in the sky in Stardust now. Um, <laughs> and hopefully on to bigger and better things uh, as as we all look forward to. But yeah, yeah that, that that one's <laughs> in the sky. Yeah, after this, tell, tell your roommate we uh, we talked about it. We're reminiscing. He was he was great in the first one. Yeah, yeah. AJ was the original Jack Thrash. Okay. And you were Iron Tom, and then Detective Slade. Yeah, because there's no way I could have played Iron Tom with that cast of like men in their fifties who were like trained army vets and real police officers. <laughs> Do you remember going to the L.A. gun store where we um, actually shot with, uh, um, who taught us how to shoot? That was Chris Levero. Chris Levero. was a police officer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a rush. How were you, how were you on the range? I can't remember. I mean, I, I'm I'm not a dead eye, but I get the job done. Um. Let's see. 
Would you save Ashley in a zombie apocalypse I'm, with a, a, a well-placed headshot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know what? I'm more of a Gimli than a Legolas. Let's say that, unfortunately. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> that is that a good comparison. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, that's like, it's crazy to think about the, the both, both of the shows that, well, we've done a, a few things together, but Get That Snitch and Cuckoo's Nest, the production value was so high yeah. on those shows that it really it, it it made me sad that I couldn't just do that kind of stuff all the time. I know. Like, you know, why 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 isn't more theater that way? I, I guess it's a money issue, but it it I certainly don't see a lot of it that that was on level. Yeah. Let's see. We did those three shows together. We did mm, mm, delicious. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we wrote. Uh, Best of the best. Best of the best. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, we've been on quite a roller coaster together, and have kind of dabbled in just about every avenue this industry has to offer. Yeah, and I think that will somehow, just so that I can sleep at night, I believe that will somehow serve us in the long run, being able to do a bunch of different things. Absolutely, <laughs> it will. It better. <laughs> We're both like way too trained at improv, way too trained. And there's, there's you really that, that's kind of one of the funny things about Los Angeles, and maybe other cities are like this too. But I feel like if if you wanted to be an actor, you had to do way too much improv. Yeah, <laughs> you had to take way too many improv classes, do way too many shows in like a dank dungeon for <laughs> only other improvisers and free beer. <laughs> and that like that was like a big prerequisite in uh, the I guess like a couple years ago to be an actor in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Uh, kind of was. Do you do you have a favorite um, improv story or or moment you can remember? Wow, man! I tried to black out so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, of course. Of course, I have so many uh, amazing improv show moments. You were on, what was the team at USC you were on, too? I was on Comedus Interruptus. Yeah. Uh, I guess the the highest profile improv moment I've ever had was with Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett. That's awesome. Uh, from Saturday Night Live. Uh, they were uh, alumni of our troupe at That's USC, Comedus. Comedus Interruptus, USC's oldest improv troupe. And... They came back to do an alumni. Yes, snaps for that. Uh, so Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett came back to do a alumni show with us, and so we got to improv with those guys. And that was right. That was when they were doing Good Neighbor. So that was right before they they got wow. on SNL and did all those crazy AT and T commercials. And you know what they did? Those guys walked out on stage. You hear about all these rules of improv. Yes, and don't say no. You know, like uh, space work, all this stuff. Don't go blue. Uh, and so you think these guys are going to come out here and just crush the most fundamental NBA championship improv you've ever seen. And they just immediately, like, one of them got a huge space work boner and the other one started, like, watering it with a space work watering can. And they just told, like, a giant dick joke for five minutes out there as we improvised around them. And... You know what? The audience loved it. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. So, uh, so, so throw out all the rules you think you know. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Learn them and then forget them, right? Learn them, forget them, and, you know, you can always fall back on a good dick joke. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. Those are the rules of improv right there. Those are the, those are the rules of improv right there. Um, <laughs> and then, I, you know, I really loved working with Chef Pishposh and Mm-mm Delicious. Yeah. Uh, those were kind of the two post-college troops that I was on. And... Just like running the clubhouse. Do you remember doing all those clubhouse shows? The clubhouse. And just like, just just having uh, the time of our lives. I mean, I, I think that's the best part of improv. Improv at its best is you just playing make believe with your adult friends and <laughs> telling silly jokes and trying to make each other laugh. And I feel like we did that a lot on Mm-mm Delicious. Oh yeah. We uh, so I, I really I loved all I loved all of those moments, and of course all of the the bomb shows that we did. Yeah. Uh, too. You gotta, you gotta love them all. What does it feel like to bomb on stage during improv? I've never been a part of an improv troupe. Rockwell's the closest I've, so, I guess, sort of come to improv. But like, what does it feel like when you bomb? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Did you feel that that dead silence <laughs> and how awkward it was waiting for just something to happen? I'll do it again for you. Oh, it hurts me. I can't even I can't even let it go that long. But bombing and improv, if Mick, you can back me up on this, is just like desperately trying to do something to get somebody to laugh as you hear the deafening silence of a hot, sweaty room. That's my nightmare. Yes. <laughs> it's everyone's I, uh, nightmare. <laughs> I was on a team like a while way before Mm, delicious and it was with some people that i didn't know we had like a guest join us that day which is always dicey if you've never rehearsed with somebody before um and i had actually invited a girl that i liked uh to that show and um he starts off the scene with like i just killed this dog help me bury it oh no (laughs) and so i'm like it's that moment of silence, and then I'm like, okay, well, it's an improv scene, so I can't say no. I can say, like, no, no, I don't want to bury that dog. How, why did you kill the dog? But I can't be like, oh, no, no, no. The uh, dog's alive. That dog is alive. Or, that's a Komodo dragon. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's the, the sad realization that you've just stepped onto a sinking ship. Yeah. And... Even though you, the dock's right there, you could just step off. You have to stay on it until it sinks to the bottom of the ocean and you drown. <laughs> wow! Thank you for that. I understand wholeheartedly. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Too, I've been on that sinking ship too many times. Yeah, I feel like I've touched a nerve with the both of you. Where you guys are just like, this is just really hard for you guys to talk about. I'm sorry. As any good healthy trauma is absolutely absolutely and i i agree with you mick i think the the thing i tell myself to keep to sleep at night is that it was all worth it and that it 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 all serves me somehow um because when you come across that moment where you're on stage and somebody's burying a dead puppy and you can't say no and you just have to go with it there's there's a beauty to being able to get through that yeah so, and 
I think Go ahead. I think it will pay off. And I know just because I know you, you even though the dream is probably different than it was at eighteen, I know you still have some big dreams and goals and and things that are keeping you going. Um, oh hell yes, man! I'll tell you a story. I yeah. just this happened today. Um, I was on a conference call with my boss at the brewery because I work my my keep the lights on job is as a brewer at Golden Road Brewing Company. Yeah. I don't want people to get the impression that being an actor is just having a bathtub full of gold like Scrooge McDuck and being able to like hang out off the one Wiener Schnitzel commercial you did a year ago. You know, like people most people are out here hustling hard every day at jobs that are are pretty unforgiving um and 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 have you know just regular day jobs so my regular day job is as a brewer uh and my boss uh offered me a full-time position at the brewery which came with benefits i would have got health care i would have got a 401k Mm. i would have got the pay bump you know it's all these actually your like mouth is hanging open because we all know the temptation i'm like benefits what benefits? <laughs> oh my Healthcare? god <laughs> you turned him down consistent steady pay and i turned him down yeah. because oh. i whenever i try to think of what else i could be doing or should be doing it's nothing other than this yeah uh for better and for worse I, I have the gift and the curse, and I, I wouldn't trade them for anything. So I turned down the full-time position, and I also opened the check for $1,250 from the Best Buy commercial that I did for, you know, uh, voiceover. So hey, it's, there you go. it's the ecstasy and the agony, and, and it's like they, they both often come together, uh, and I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest misconception of being an actor? Oh, man. <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> what are a few? Uh, I think one of the biggest misconceptions of being an actor is that there is some way you can just get jobs on famous shows. Yeah. Like, So many family members and friends who mean well are like, oh, I was just watching Modern Family. Why don't you go be on that show? Or like, (laughs) you know, I I was watching uh, the the Trolls World Tour movie. You could be a voice on that. Why don't you do that? It's like, well, if I could, I would. (laughs) Yeah. I never thought of it. Why didn't I just go in and do that? (laughs) What's funny is that the origin of me asking this question comes from a family member of mine watching Dancing with the Stars and being like, you should be on Dancing with the Stars. And I was like, "I, I, I, I can't just go and do that. And then she called back like a week later and was like, you should be on NCIS. I love NCIS. And I was like... I can't, I also can't do that. So I don't really know what you want me to do. And it was just such a huge, like, misconception in my family of, like, oh, you can just go and be on this show. I was like, totally. No, no, that's not how any of it actually works. Sorry. If I could, I would. If you get their number, give it to me. (laughs) I also, I think 
hand in hand with that, another big misconception about actors and acting and, and the entertainment industry in general is that if you're, if you're successful, you're a celebrity, you're like, (laughs) you're a movie star, you're a series regular, you're someone people recognize, you're someone whose name everybody knows that that's like the only type of successful actor that there is. Yeah. But the reality is like acting and, and the entertainment industry runs such a huge gambit of, uh, uh, of levels and, and styles and, and different, you know, financial, uh, rewards that like, there's way more blue collar actors out here just doing, you know, doing the work, putting in the grind than there are super famous actors whose names, you know, and faces you recognize. And all of it is valid from the background extras to the, uh, you know, marquee names. It's all uh, you're 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 a professional actor if you're out here trying to do it. So I think like people people misconstrue that and also misjudge it that like, oh, you're not on a TV show. You're not in any movies like you must not be good at what you do or you must not be a professional. It's like that's super callous and, yeah. and, and, and misunderstood. Yeah. Agreed. Um, speaking of, uh, professionals. Oh, wait, can I do one more misconception yes. about actors? Yes. Is that we want to perform all the time when people are like, do a, do a voice, do a funny voice from a, a show you were in. I was like, you're an accountant. I'm not going to ask you to do my taxes right now in front of all these people. I'm not asking to ask you to do a math problem for me. Mm-hmm. It's like respect the space. Yeah, that's so I'm, funny. I have huge energy, and I will entertain a, a crowd at a table till the cows come home. But like, I do not want to do a monologue for you at the dinner table. <gasps> yeah, I get that a lot with singing. Like totally. when people find out I'm a singer, thing. they're always like, "Oh my god, can you sing something for me?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna no. do that." It's weird. It's weird. It's going to be weird. Nobody's going to like it as much as you think you want this. It's, I, I, yeah. So that's, that's another mistake. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Uh, How are you going to come back after all of this? Uh, You you mentioned you're doing voiceover. That seems to be one of the smartest ways to navigate the, the current industry. But like, do you spend much time thinking about, um, the road back to, I mean, there, you know, we're, we're two people who, as we said, most of the acting work, like the exciting roles we get to play is in theater, which has gone this entire year. Definitely. Um, so what, what do you think the road back looks like? Oh man, Mick, I wish I had a good answer for this. <laughs> I really freaking do. And, and if you figure that out, please let me know. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, and this I think is the answer that applies to my every question I have about my acting career is really, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. All I know is that I, I just got to keep going and, and, and stay on the grind and try not to get too discouraged about it. Because there is a lot of de- depression and anxiety that comes along with this job. I mean, shit, we we like we get paid for affirmation on a you know at the best of times and at the worst of times. You're seeing everybody else succeed and thinking, why not me? You know, like I'm putting in the work, I'm putting on the hours, I'm doing the job. Why not me? 
and that's just a, a way to poison yourself and, and, and get stuck in a rut. So while the industry is in an extraordinary time right now, I think the game is the same, which is just stick with it and, and keep, keep failing. Keep failing. Keep failing. Keep failing. Yeah. And what? keep coming back to it. Because cause I, I, would you guys agree, like, over the... Well, Ashley, you've been doing this for 20-some years now? When did you first start at this? When I was five. I'm 27 now. Damn. That's yeah. so, like, how many times have you had to make a comeback? A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do a you lot. think this is any different, like, this time, even though, you know, the circumstances are extraordinary, is it any different? Or, or is it kind of the same the same playbook it's pretty much it's pretty much the same i mean the truly the only difference is that everyone has stopped instead of just like my career kind of slowing down a little bit like everyone's career is just slowed down so it's it's all of us are going to be finding our way back at the same time essentially but yeah it's a it's a it's a weird like you said earlier, like weird roller coaster, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual journey that's just going to be up and down forever. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you did commercial-wise, TV-wise, theater-wise, at any point in your life, it's just going to be a really crazy up and down and sideways journey sometimes. Totally. And there's it's so different for every individual person. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes our industry so unique is like if doctors all take the same path to get there. I'm sorry. They do. Yeah. You go to medical school, you do a residency, you get into a practice, you're a doctor, yep. you know, and like actors, every single actor's trajectory is completely different. And that's what makes it so frustrating, but that's also what makes it so personal and, and inspiring when you see people who are making it and who are doing it right, like you're there that I, I admire that so much because this is, this is such an unknown industry at all times. Uh, especially now mm -hmm. that like, if you're, if you're doing anything, uh, I'm, I'm impressed by you. So uh, just, just keep doing something. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I will say this though. I do feel like, there is a lot of future on this thing called the internet and it could be big. You guys it could be real big. Pay attention to the internet. I think you're right. I, you think so? I've yeah, heard like good things. I have me too. I've heard a lot of bad stuff, but, uh, but, but more good. But good stuff too. <laughs> and I, I think like, you know, the, the point of this bit is that the ability to create your own content has never been more available than it is now. Here we are on the beautiful Mismo podcast, creating our own content. Like this is the type of stuff that you can be doing and can get you places and can help your career. Uh, it's like making your own content and not being afraid to do it and putting it out there for people to listen to and critique and love and hate and not being afraid of that because I think that's how you build a brand. That's how you find out what you're good at. That's how you find out what other people are good at. And we've never been more able to do it than we can now. So making your own stuff, I think is, is the, is and always will be the future of this industry. Mm -hmm. Like, like that. Thank you. And that's Mike. Um, Okay, wait. I before we before we close up, I I do want to ask you about um, 
a couple of unsung heroes, but real real pros who we lost this year. And we, since we started talking about USC, uh, we lost Michael Keenan, and then yeah. and then Jack Rowe. You, I was I was closer to Michael though, and you were the one who texted me the morning he passed. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, not enough people would know. Um, it, it would be a little bit too inside baseball to do a full episode, but I almost wanted to do like a full episode on Michael when he, when he passed. But, um, do you have, do you have any fun, uh, Michael Keenan stories to remember, um, from, you, you did some shows with him at USC. I have only fun Michael Keenan <laughs> stories to remember. Uh, and for a frame of reference, he was our, uh, he was one of our, our acting teachers, at USC who also directed a bunch of shows and you were uh, famously in an absolute Turkey. Yes. If I remember right as yes. the, as Thank the you. lead, uh, broken legged, uh, handsome <laughs> lead, right. Didn't you like break your ankle and have to use a pimp cane for that whole show? I dislocated my patella at a fraternity event, uh, like a week before we opened. A fraternity event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that nice. <laughs> you called me out on that. I was uh, <laughs> dancing to teach me how to dougie at a club uh, with my whole yeah. frat. <laughs> and um, I asked for teach me how to dougie to be on the the playlist for the wedding, just for the record, so I could see him good. dougie. I'm, <laughs> I'm retired. I don't dougie anymore. He I'm will retired. for the wedding. Thank you very much. Anyway, go on. Um, Excellent. So Patella pops off and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I walk in on crutches the next day at rehearsal, and he just goes, all right, just tell me, uh, do I have to replace you? <laughs> I said, no, you know, I think I can walk, but it was a French farce, so it was pretty physical. I had to fall down a couple times and stuff, and I asked if I could do it with a cane, and he got me this beautiful awesome looking cane that really matched the character i had a limp for it i was on like prescription grade painkillers for the show <laughs> he gave me my own dressing room on the stage level because you remember in the bing you have to go down below so so i didn't have to go on stairs he gave me like that special private dressing room he really took care of me and made sure i was okay for the show and that is acting for anyone <laughs> out there listening that's what it is the show oh, must man. go on. Yes, the show must go on. You were so good in that show too, Mick. Uh, as as you have been in everything. Uh, but I, I I'll tell you one quick Michael Keenan story, which is a good uh, story for all of the listeners out there, um, because this this shows how important good mentorship is in uh, the industry and how important it is to recognize what lane you are in and what lane you want to be in. And sometimes if you can't see that for yourself, somebody else will point it out for you. And that's what Michael Keenan did for me. Uh, he was directing the Bo Stratagem, um, and I was yeah. a freshman in college, and it was the first show I had ever done at USC. And I played, like, Stable Boy and uh, Sword Fighter 2, right? <laughs> so, uh, in fact, I remember the audition for that show I thought the bow stratagem took place in the South because the word bow was in it. Didn't take time to read the play. Don't need to do that. So I came in with an importance of being earnest monologue that I did in an, a Southern accent. And Michael Keenan was like, 
that was the worst thing I've ever seen. But you must have balls down to your knees. <laughs> for that reason, he cast me in the show. And then we're at rehearsals. And this is with Nick Tagliarini, who was one of the most beautiful men at USC. He was like, you know, gorgeous Adonis playing the leading role. Um, this other guy named Matt was like his kind of second in command. And there I was, Sword Fighter 2. And I'm standing at the Sword Fighter rehearsal, uh, sort of waiting for the the action to pick up again. Edgar Lambda was fight choreographing, sure. uh, fantastic <laughs> choreographer. And he, uh, we were on a break, so I was waiting for things to come back. And I just hear from the, the stands, Pop! Pop! Come over here! And it's Michael Keenan, of course, sitting in the second row. Uh, and he waves me over and he goes, Now, do you... Do you want to do this as a career? Do you want to be an actor? And I was like, well, yeah. Yeah, Michael, I, I want to be an actor more than anything. That's why I'm here. And he goes, okay, well, then you got to do something about this. And he's pointing to my body. He's doing an up and down gesture with his hand to my body. And I was like, my, you mean like, like, bulk up a little bit because Nick tags in the room and he's covered in muscles and looking so gorgeous. And Michael goes, no, 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 not bulking up, just cleaning up. <laughs> and that was some of the most harsh and honest uh, feedback I had ever gotten in my life because you know, there's so much of it that's just like hugs and kisses and you were amazing. The show was amazing. God, everyone's so amazing. But Michael was like sitting there looking at me just thinking, this guy's never going to be an actor if he doesn't clean up a little bit. And so he told me. And that summer, I went back and did P90X. Yes. Horton, and I got myself cleaned up, came in for an audition the next year. And Michael Keenan, I walk in the door to his audition room, and the first thing he says is, Whoa! Hey there, sexy! And I was like, Help, Michael. Uh, I did it. I cleaned up. Uh, and uh, honestly, that reinforces so many negative, toxic ideas about being in the entertainment industry that you have to be beautiful or fit or like gorgeous to be successful but that really wasn't what it was about it was just this guy being totally candid with me mm -hmm. and a, a director who i think always wanted to help people recognize their potential be their best selves and you know uh, at, at times it was blunt um but it was always good-hearted and you can always tell the difference too between the good-hearted genuine criticism and the mean sort of cruel criticisms uh, and Michael Keenan was full of nothing but good-hearted criticism. He, yeah, and he wouldn't have said it to you if he didn't believe in you and, and, and love you, so. If he didn't believe I could be yeah. a sexier, more beautiful man. The last thing he said to me, I went and visited him when he was uh, near the end, and uh, I took him out to lunch. He... I visited him and I said, you know, you're not doing as well as normal. We usually went out to lunch, but I was like, let's just stay here. And he's like, no, get me the fuck out of here. 
<laughs> so I took him to sushi. And he Get had like the fuck out of here. He had like Amen. two bites of his tempura and he almost like stops. And he looks at me, I'm like, Are you okay? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has a sip of his coke. And then he just kinda stops. And I'm like Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I get the checks so that we can go, and um, in case we have to leave in a hurry, I pay, and then he says, I might fade out on you. Wow. So so I had to take him, brush him back, uh, and he was fine. And they, we get him in his bed, the nurse takes care of him, he's stable, he's okay. We got him his medication, everything was fine. And he said, stay and visit, you know, a minute. And um, I did. And then and then a show comes on and it's a soap opera. It's like 2 p.m. And it's like a Latin soap opera. And he had said this to me once at college, but he was like, you should do this. You should brush up on your Spanish and you should get yourself on a soap opera. That would be great practice for you. And I said, but I don't want to do a soap opera, Michael. And he says, yes, you do. At this point... Yes, you do. You want to do whatever you can. And I think you would be good on a soap opera. So now I'm just waiting for my soap opera to come because I feel like it's been spoken. Have you practiced your Spanish? I actually uh, did. I already had a um, uh, subscription to Fluenz. I bought like all five levels a couple years ago. And so I, brought, I pulled that up and I have started again. I can speak it like conversationally but i feel like if i go all the way through level five i'll be pretty close to fluent well i'll tell you what man you got a guardian angel like michael keenan looking out for you there's no way you can fail yeah so right. keep that spanish sharp because that opportunity is is going to be coming soon muchas gracias <laughs> <De nada>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right well thanks for uh indulging me with with michael keenan that, that was fun to Hey, you got to remember the, 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 the people because that's what this is really all about is like between all the fame and the fortune and, and, and the crazy projects and the studio movies and the series regulars and the casting calls and the headshots and the agents and the madness of the entertainment industry, it's all about just telling stories with good people. And we've been really lucky to get to do it with a lot of them. So I, I, I hold those memories very close to my heart. And I've been really lucky to share so many with you, Mick. And not many with you, Ashley, but I, I can only hope that there will be many more to come. One day. We'll work together one day and it'll be great. That's uh, Amen. Snaps to that. <laughs> yeah. Snaps to that. Uh, yeah, Paul, you really are one of those good people. And, and uh, I, I feel lucky that you're, I, I think still I would have to say you are the person I've worked with the most. And it's not a coincidence. I really... It's it's always guaranteed memories, and whether it's a success or a failure or a little bit of both, with it, which every project is, uh, I I just love working with you. And you know what? I, it really is difficult to keep friends over years in this industry. Like you get close to people when you're in the midst of a show, and then closing night ends and everybody hugs and says we'll hang out all the time and then four months pass and you haven't heard from them and that's totally normal and that doesn't you know hurt my feelings anymore but that's just how it is but you really have been uh, a, a, 
a great friend in this industry that uh, that I've always trusted and, and felt like you were a genuine friend. So thanks. Thanks, for that. man. Right back at you. Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, um, let's 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 cut that out. Let's stop being so nice to each other. <laughs> so uh, sappy, yeah, exactly. guys. Gross. We're too much. We're rivals at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Going for the same motherfucking parts, man. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's better. That's better. Uh, okay. Let's wrap up with uh, our our last question. Is always a fill in the blank. Could be a sentence. Could be a word. However, you want to answer this. Acting okay. is. Acting is. Yeah. This is so cheesy. The first thing I thought of was acting is everything. <laughs> and that's so lame. But it's so true. Uh, acting is everything. It's the it's it's the human history. It's the you know, the stories that define us. It's the things that keeps us going and gives us hope. And without it. I mean, we are certainly a, a, a less beautiful species. So uh, this is one of the most noble professions in the whole wide world. And I really do believe that. So keep up the good work because acting is everything. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's to that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>